0: Hey, everyone, and welcome back to another Yoast SEO podcast. Uh, I'm here joined today by Lily Ray. Uh, Lily Ray is the Senior Director of SEO and Head of Organic Research, and that is quite the job title, (laughs) all combined (laughs) together, at Amsif Digital. I hope I said Amsif right. Um, Welcome, Lily. Thanks for joining me.
1: Thanks so much for having me. I'm happy to be here.
0: Um, What is Amsif? Can you tell us a bit about that to begin with?
1: Yes, I can. So we just rebranded, I want to say like three or four months ago, we were formerly Path Interactive for about 14 years or so. Um, We got acquired a couple years ago by a a company called SourceLink. So Ampsiv is the combination of both of our companies. Um, I work technically at Amciv Digital, which is the digital side of the business, um, but we do have this larger Amciv agency now. And the word is a kind of play on massive amplify responsive so it's a (laughs) a new word that we created just for the agency but yeah it's it's been an interesting process
0: (laughs) it's good though because it's it's actually a pretty short brand which is something that we don't see all that much anymore in our industry a lot of people coming up with long names for stuff exactly You've been in the SEO industry for for a while, it seems, although as we just discussed pre-show, we've never actually met in person yet, which is weird. How long have you been around?
1: Um, So I've been doing SEO, I guess this is my 10th year, so maybe 10 and a half years. Um, But I'm 31, so I started when I was 20, when I was in college. So uh, pretty much my first job ever (laughs) doing SEO.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I know the feeling the only problem is I'm a couple of years older. Um, <laughs> <laughs> What's, what would you say is your specialty?
1: So if you asked me a few years ago, I was really heavily focused on retail and e-commerce sites just because of the nature of the agency that I worked at before this one. Um, I was running the SEO team there. We had tons of e-commerce clients. That was kind of our specialty. I was even getting into like Amazon SEO as well. Um, and I really love technical SEO. So for my whole career, that's been my happy place is doing technical SEO, uh, past few years though, as I think a lot of people know, (laughs) I kind of talk about, um, algorithm updates and EAT quite a bit, and that's just due to the types of sites that I work on at this agency. So that's really become my passion lately.
0: So if we, if we dive right in straight into that, that topic, you have all these algorithm updates, you write about them a lot, which we're all thankful for because then we don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> um, but is there any trends that you've seen in the last few years over uh, over these updates?
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. That's um, actually, so I have a few speaking engagements that are happening right now, like Moscon and everything like that. And that's exactly what I'm talking about is like what's what are the larger trends that have been happening on Google in the last few years? And it's just my opinion, just based on what I'm seeing and what I work on with my clients. But I do think that... EAT, expertise, authority, and trust, is one of the biggest focal points that Google has been emphasizing over the last few years, not just in search, but in other products like Discover and and YouTube and Google News and everything. And I do think if you look at the data, especially in the Your Money, Your Life sector of, of sites, so sites that deal with finance and health and parenting and things like that, there's very much a clear push towards EAT. And on the flip side of that, there's a big reduction in dangerous content, spammy content, um, content that contradicts scientific consensus and things like that. So it's been interesting.
0: Yeah. So in, in a way, that is actually a move for the better, you'd say.
1: Depends what your values are. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> some people think it's google policing you know content and information um but for if you read the search quality guidelines and you kind of read what google's going for i think the average person would agree that it's for the best
0: yeah i saw you tweet um 10 hours ago is, i think what what twitter <laughs> uh, twitter said um tweeting about, hey, SEOs are focusing too hard on optimizing metadata, heading tags, et cetera, instead of just making a good result page, right. um, which resonated quite hard with me because it's one of the things I keep telling people, like, just be the best result. It's very simple while yeah. also being very hard. Is that a lesson that we still need to teach people?
1: I think that so much of the SEO industry is stuck in this sort of outdated way of approaching SEO. And I get it because it used to work really well. So like, you know, 10 years ago, we would buy links and that would work. And then maybe eight years ago, we would like tweak title tags and H1 tags. And that would be enough to like change the rankings of the page the next week. And like, it's just getting more and more complex. And the types of strategies that i work on with my team are so beyond that now like you have to basically just treat google as a human and think about what's valuable on the page or not so so many people start with like you know what's the what's the h1 tag how many h1 tags are there what's the title tag what's the meta description it's like those things are great of course but it's really about what's the intent of the page? Does it cover all the content comprehensively? Is it helpful for users? And that's really how we've been approaching our strategies. And it's it's very effective these days.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I can totally relate. It, it's what we've tried to tell people for a long time. Um, I saw someone tweet uh, the other day like not uh, the, this quote, not everything that counts can be counted and not everything huh. that can be counted counts. <laughs> um, and I think that's very true for SEO tools. It's just there, there's just so many SEOs that, that open up a tool and then um, and then look at that report and start fixing those tiny little things, and that's just really not going to help them.
1: Totally.
0: Um, yeah. So it's good to see that. But in a, in the, in this EAT age, what would you say that these people need to do? What what would be then their what should be what they working what they're working on?
1: so there's so many different strategies and tactics to use to improve or at least improve the way that you're conveying eat in many cases assuming that you're a legitimate brand you have a good reputation you've sorted those things out on the business end it's just a matter of making sure that that information is being transmitted through your website and through your other google properties so like google my business um and really like what we do with our team or with our our clients is we'll say like What are you truly an expert in? Who do you have on your staff that we can leverage for expert insights and put their names on the site? Um, We go through content that maybe was just written for SEO purposes 10 years ago and is not actually helpful. Or maybe they wrote that content five different ways across five different posts so we can make one bigger, more comprehensive article and consolidate those. So it's really just kind of taking inventory of, of what's been done on the site what does the brand stand for? What is the brand an authority on and just making sure that's all conveyed through the, the site.
0: Okay. Um, does schema play into that? Or is that is that a, a, a result of what you're doing? Or, uh, I don't
1: Yeah, I do think schema plays into that. Um, I actually wrote an article a couple of years ago, or maybe last year, about the role that I think schema plays in EAT. And to be clear, it's not ranking factor in many cases it's something that can get you rich results but it's not like a necessity i do think that it really helps to disambiguate entities first and foremost so like especially if you have an author that shares a name with somebody else using structured data can can confirm who that person is i've seen it happen just with my own knowledge panel where i added schema and suddenly google started making the right connections about who i was um, I do share a name with a few other <laughs> Lily Rays, <laughs> kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, no, I think uh, it's something that we absolutely work on with our team. And Yoast has been very helpful because a lot of that stuff that we recommend is built into to Yoast, which is great.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's some of the things that, that Jono and I, as you know, geek on about as well. It's the stuff that I love to to improve on and, and look at. And at the same time, I get very annoyed when Google gets stuff wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you, you you alluded to it already, but it, it does get stuff awfully wrong sometimes, and it, that's where yeah, yeah, I get annoyed. And and just as a as someone who views himself a bit more as fixing the system rather than individual sites, <laughs> um, uh, it it's like what can I do to fix the system a bit more? Yeah, but, uh, um, it is kind of hard to to prevent that sort of stuff. Um. In, in, in many ways, uh, you said disambiguate. So it's not a ranking factor. And I totally agree with you on that. But at the same time, it, you, you do want to really make clear which which other uh, per, uh, pages on the web are about you, for instance, if you're an right. author. Um, is that something that, people, that you think people should work on a bit more?
1: Yeah, I do. Um, I think that that's one of the strongest... Uh, most effective tactics that you can use to improve VAT. And I've even been working with some pretty major publishers who like, of course, they already have author bylines. They, They have short bios for their authors, but there's still so much more that you can do to connect the dots. So like, was that author listed on Google Scholar? Did that author write for a variety of different publications? And like giving a home, you know, whether it be on your site, on their personal site, but like Having one centralized place where you can include all of that relevant information is really helpful to Google. And I didn't even know this until recently, but Jason Barnard taught me this. Um, If you look at the knowledge panel, there's a little globe icon that shows the URL that Jason Barnard calls it like the home of where Google gets all of its information about a given entity. So make sure that you're basically showing up like you have a home listed and that Google's picking the right one and include all the relevant information on that page.
0: Yeah, it is, it's, uh, Jason taught me that, too, as I think he's teaching a whole lot of people <laughs> in our industry. <laughs> um, if you haven't heard of Jason Barnard, we have a great podcast recording with him. So go back, go back into our archives and listen to that. Um, in all of this, how do you... Well, it, it's, So you're doing this kind of work for your clients. What is the outcome of that work? How do you measure the, uh, the performance of what you do? <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's a really interesting approach to SEO. It's it's definitely different than the work that I used to do. Like I, I said before, I used to work on e-commerce websites. It's pretty straightforward with e-commerce sites. It's like, yeah. get rid of technical issues. Make sure you have the right category pages. you know, Make sure crawling and indexing is working as intended. All this stuff that's like pretty routine. You kind of approach all the sites in the same way. With, with this EAT-focused approach for a lot of the clients that we're working on, It's different every time and it's a really long game. So I gave a couple examples last week I presented in Napa and there's a couple sites that we've worked on where my favorite example is a site that was really destroyed by the medic update in August of 2018, it's a health website. They spent a year replanning an EAT-focused website, getting rid of a lot of thin content, dangerous content, content that wasn't helping users at all, Um, started working with experts, listed their names on the page, really just improved website architecture and speed and technical issues and all that stuff. And after a year of planning, they relaunched this new site, and it was like instantly a huge recovery. I don't even remember, a 300% increase in traffic or something over the course of a couple of weeks. So it's it's hard work and it takes a really long time. And generally speaking, we don't see the results of our efforts play out until another core update rolls out, which we have to tell our clients that from the get-go if they've been impacted. And just you know, two weeks ago, we had a core update and we're certainly seeing great improvements for one of our sites we've, we've been working on. So much longer game than what a lot of SEOs are used to
0: what why would that be is that because of with that core update they're rolling new trust data into their their algorithm or what is it that that changes in such a core update Mm
1: -hmm. it's a variety of things so i you know there's definitely examples where you don't do anything and you're impacted positively or negatively (laughs) and a lot of people use that as like see you can't do anything about core updates but i don't think that's true like the sites that we've seen improvements for are most of the time sites that we've done a ton of hard work for um and if you talk to other people that deal with these types of projects like glenn gabe for example it's like you have to do so many different things to get back in google's good graces and google said it takes us months to process these changes and i think during core updates is when those kind of site-wide evaluations come into play and if you're in line with what google's been saying that it's focusing on then you should probably be well positioned as the next core update rolls out
0: okay um but does that mean that that someone is manually reviewing and that that data is feeding back or is it not that simple
1: well i think it's the search quality evaluators reviewing it so it's thousands of people reviewing it um, and making sure that the content is meeting their needs i mean just yesterday, I published this article about what happened with this update. One thing I thought was really interesting was that it was late last year, and you'll see this a lot, where it's like Google makes a change to its documentation. So, late last year, they said, we're changing, you know, some language in the search quality guidelines about dictionary definitions. And we're saying, if the word is ambiguous or the person doesn't understand it, they should suggest that a dictionary or an encyclopedia shows up first to help define the word and lo and behold one of the biggest changes that happened with this update was a huge increase in dictionary sites so like maybe there was something that happened late last year early this year where a lot of evaluators determined we don't know what this word means it would be helpful to show dictionary sites and that was probably the most salient Thing that took place with this past update, so it's interesting to see how those things are connected. Um, but it does take time for Google to process the the feedback that they're getting from search evaluators.
0: Yeah, actually, for someone who for whom English is not their native language, uh, me, it's actually <laughs> a great improvement because a lot a lot of times I will be looking just for that, um, and it saves me a lot of typing. Um, but with a change like that, you could suddenly also find yourself well, be pushed down because the dictionary comes on top of you. At the same time, that's not, I I guess that's also not a huge problem. If you're number two behind the dictionary for a lot of that, for those terms.
1: That's a really important point. Um, One that I tried to make clear in the article, because the first instinct everybody has when they see somebody's a loser is what did they do wrong? I like that site. They have great content. And it's like, you have to look at what actually took place. So in some cases, that site moved down one or two positions on average across the board for all of their high ranking keywords. And that's actually a pretty big, that's gonna cause a big decline in traffic and visibility, but they didn't necessarily do anything wrong. Maybe Google just decided a dictionary should outrank them. So it's really important to remember that it it could just be like Google shifting the intent of what gets to rank, but you didn't necessarily, you're not a loser. You just kind of moved down in that process.
0: Yeah, and it might not even save you all that much actual converting traffic totally Totally. uh, because if they were looking for what the word means then your site might not be the best result anyway
1: that's really important to keep in mind as well i think uh, the gut instinct for a lot of people when they are affected by core updates is to say like it's crashing and burning i'm losing everything (laughs) it's like no you're losing traffic and rankings to your blog articles that probably weren't converting very well in the first place Um, take a look at your actual conversion data and see if that was impacted because traffic's not everything.
0: Yeah, that's something that um, we've definitely learned the hard way, Jost, as well, where you go up and down a bit and then you see these rankings and then you figure out later on, like, hey, this is all traffic to pages that we don't really care all that much about. But uh, if we go back to that performance a bit, how do you – what what do you measure is there any any tools or uh, stuff that you use to measure the performance of your clients other than pure analytics
1: yeah it depends on the client you know some clients track phone calls form submissions whatever the case may be but what i like to do since i'm on this eat kick (laughs) is like overlay um different elements of the page with performance so like I also wrote an article for search engine journal last year about basically visualizing like author performance so for example if you have a bunch of authors that are writing on medical topics and maybe your site makes money through ad revenue and then traffic then it's really important who's writing what like who's performing the best you know who's generating the most page views and traffic and everything so what i like to do is take author names and then cross-reference that with website traffic or goal completions or whatever kpi they're focused on you can also take you know use whatever crawler of your choice and extract things like um the date of publication the the hierarchy of the site so tags and categories and you can start to get an understanding of like like let's say you're looking at breadcrumbs for example you can say wow the the content when we write about Exercise is really outperforming content when we write about recipes. So maybe like we're perceived as more of a a fitness site than a cooking site. And just drilling into like what you're the perceived authority and expert on is something that I think can help inform what type of content you create going forward.
0: Is it just that or is it also the other way around? Like what can we do to become more of an expert in Google's eyes on, on that topic?
1: Yeah, I mean, what I like to do, and another place that's really interesting to look is Discover as well. Google Discover. Um, sometimes you'll notice, like, wow, we really perform really well in Google Discover on a certain topic, so maybe we should double down on that topic. As far as like building authority, it's hard to do. I think authoritativeness is largely evaluated by a link profile. So if you don't necessarily have strong links in a certain area or from certain types of sites, it can be really difficult. But um, you know, it's it's. What I would recommend doing if you want to build up authority is work with established experts in that area and see if you can invite them to contribute or interview them, have them share your article, link to your article um, and start that way just to build trust.
0: Yeah. So you, you have to join the already existing network and work yourself in from within instead of going at it the other way around. Yeah, I think so. Okay, cool. Um, so Seeing everything that's happened over in in EIT over the last couple of years, what do you expect the next steps to be on from Google?
1: So it's hard to say. I don't think that this trend is going anywhere. I think that they're becoming more and more uh, strict as far as who gets to rank on certain topics. Um, I do think there's something kind of interesting going on with e-commerce and and the product review update. This past core update of the last couple of weeks does seem to be tied into the product review update, which happened last month. And then at Google I.O., they announced this new shopping graph. That seems to be the most heavily impacted area by these last couple of big updates. So I'm seeing a lot of like affiliate sites, product review sites, especially in like the technology and consumer electronics space. There seems to be a lot of very big movement there. And then my team, almost every week is like is this a new feature where there's like all these product comparisons happening on google so it's hard to say what's happening there but i don't know that it necessarily bodes well for e-commerce websites and google's up to something pretty big
0: well is it e-commerce websites or is it the the affiliates in between that are going to suffer
1: yeah that's a good point yeah
0: if i had to place my bet it would be on on affiliate becoming a very hard sport very quickly uh-huh.
1: Yeah, I mean, they're pulling in a lot of the affiliate data into the search results themselves. So, I mean, you're totally right. But I do think like there's some sites that have actually seen huge growth in the last few weeks and their affiliate sites. There's a way to do it well. But Google definitely seems to be cracking down on on thin or unhelpful affiliate content.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's it's funny because they've been throwing warnings in uh, in all of their tools now for quite a while about people not adding product identifiers and uh, and stuff like that into their schema <laughs> and and of course lo and behold when, so, when everyone adds a gtin or or other uh manufacturing numbers to their products it becomes very simple for them to build a comparison engine of course, of
1: course. <laughs> that's why they want it of course
0: <laughs> yeah it, it, it cracks me up because on the one hand, I want to see Google as so smart. And at the same time, they often do these things where I'm like, you're just stupid, but you're just forcing yourself in now.
1: Yeah, it's it's kind of weird. It's like on this, you know, on one hand, there's this giant initiative towards EAT. And from my perspective, I think it's the biggest change to Google in the last few years But then there's this other side of Google where it's like they're constantly testing things where from my perspective, it feels like it's not quite ready. (laughs) Like yesterday I shared a screenshot of um, a new type of featured snippet that they're testing that says also covered on this page. And they're using some type of like AI or something to create these, these jump links. Like it's not content that's pulled from the page, it's Google generating language based on what it thinks it sees on the page. And more often than not, it's like not phrased correctly. And it's the same with people also ask. It's like, that's not good grammar. And it's so in your face. Like people also ask, it's in every result now. So, you know, it's this push towards EAT, but then also just like blatantly bad grammar all over the search results. (laughs) When well, the
0: people also ask is also it becomes very large in some results. I I, I sometimes have, have like you click on one, you go back and suddenly you have 20 people also ask results. In oh that. yeah, I, it's I,
1: very aggressive. Very, very aggressive. They must be seeing a lot of people staying on the search results <laughs> that feature because there's just such a huge increase in the last few years.
0: Yeah, it, it, it would it actually drive more ad revenue? I don't know. I don't I don't I've never really understood why they made it that big. I mean, I understand the feature, but the size of it is incredible.
1: Yeah, I think uh, ads are becoming so hard to identify that I guess any, you know, increased time that people spend on the search results page, there's an increased likelihood they'll click on an ad. I mean, myself yesterday I clicked on an ad and I would like totally <laughs> it was a horrible experience and it's like wow if this is working on me who like very deliberately does not click on ads for my entire life it's working on a lot of people for sure
0: yeah yeah that's that's weird isn't it? Yeah, t- to be honest I run with an ad blocker all the time so I don't <laughs> even see the ads um, but um uh, it it yeah if people like us start clicking on on ads uh, yeah. because we don't recognize them, then then something is pretty broken. Well, that's, I'd that's say by it's design. probably close to illegal as well.
1: By design, for sure. I mean, that's it is maybe illegal. I think that's what we're all trying to figure out here in the US, if it's illegal or not. But they're getting away with it, and it's uh, a little scary. I actually have a lot of data... I can't remember if this was published or not, but I did do a survey at one point where <laughs> it's been sitting in my Power BI and I've been analyzing it, but I don't know if I ever published it. Um, but it was about whether or not people can distinguish ads from organic results. And of course it was like 60%, 65% of respondents could not tell the difference. No. So. Scary.
0: We should we should rerun that research and and maybe collaborate on it. I I think we could reach a lot of people and see like, hey, can we prove that? Mm -hmm. The European Union would be more much more likely to actually do something about that. I think than than the current U.S. uh, climate. That's certainly true. But it is, yeah. In that regard, also, like, there's a lot that's changing in in these things. So we had a discussion about uh, your um your own personal um. Uh, knowledge panel, mm-hmm. and I look at that as a European, and I go like, they can't do that. That's your <laughs> name that they uh, that sh- they should allow you to have some control over what that looks like, yeah, uh, and what shows up when when the, you know, when people search for you. And yeah, I I, I ju- I'm just very curious what will happen in that space. I think that'll that'll be uh, there will be a few lawsuits in the, in the f- in the near future on that topic. Hmm um related the whole with ads well ads are basically going down a bit because in in terms of tracking it's becoming harder and harder apple is cracking down on a lot of tracking and remarketing and all these things do you think that that will change seo
1: well if the last year is any indication and granted coronavirus changed a lot of things maybe temporarily but there's never been as much demand for SEO as there is now, which is pretty like vindicating because <laughs> people have been saying for years that it's, it's going away, it's harder to do, blah, blah, blah. It is definitely harder to do. Um, but I think that, I mean, it's hard to say how the, what's happening on the ad side will affect this, but I think people are becoming aware of the fact that SEO is a more reliable, consistent, source of traffic and visibility and even though it takes time that's time that you you have to invest in if you're a serious brand there's no alternative so i mean i'm happy to see that the demand for it is growing um not exactly sure what will happen with ads but i do think that i personally think that there's always going to be a major need for seo because it's just from my perspective like how the internet works that's what people really want
0: you know yeah exactly it's what it, it, the whole organic acquisition is what people it, it's what people on both sides of the fence really want yeah at the same time i i wonder like how, how are how is a service going to survive if they uh, deliver that service and at the same time make their money on ads that hmm. nobody actually wants yeah um so that's yeah an interesting, uh, future uh, probably for, uh, for, well, maybe even, uh, the, what's that new, uh, search engine, uh, Neva or mm-hmm. wh- whatever, like where I can pay a monthly fee and don't have ads. I, in, in many ways that, that does sound like a very good solution.
1: Yeah, it does actually. <laughs> Sounds very appealing.
0: <laughs> yeah. If I could do that for, for my search engine and my social network, I'd be a very happy man in many ways.
1: Yeah. It's an interesting concept.
0: You already mentioned like hey, SEO has been helpful in that. Is WordPress a platform that you use a lot for these uh, for these sites?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, our our agency AMSiv, we have a, a web development and creative team, so we do a lot of website launches. I think we always pick WordPress when it's up to us. We do a lot of migrations onto WordPress. Um, yeah, that's certainly like probably the majority of our clients are on WordPress these days and to your point i mean it's really cool what what yoast has done with structured data and most recently like just adding those additional fields that we can include some more information about our authors that's really cool i do think it's underutilized i think a lot of people don't necessarily realize that you don't have to do any coding to add that like author information for example and into wordpress and have it be marked up with structured data but certainly that's Uh, been a very helpful and kind of seamless way for us to improve or or implement a lot of the EAT tactics that we're recommending.
0: It's awesome to hear you say that. And it also makes me go like, "Uh," because we probably should tell that story a bit better. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But um, yeah, no, this is the uh, the new feature we added, I think, two releases ago, or on your user profile, you can add those fields about yourself which knowledge which languages you know which titles you have which uh, awards you've won stuff like that mm-hmm. um it's a very simple interface to be honest I know because I coded it myself and if it... <laughs> it's very simple <laughs> I agree I, I if it if it looks fancy I didn't code it <laughs> uh, so um but is one of the, the the recurring themes that I see is that it's we make this sort of stuff easy, but if people are on, an, on a large CMS, it's often very expensive to make changes like this. Hmm. Do you see people moving on or migrating to WordPress because of this?
1: I think people move to WordPress for a variety of reasons, for sure. I don't know that like our... <laughs> raising the flag about eat is making anybody do any type of big website migration um but you know we do have to get creative so if a website's not using wordpress not using yoast our team is probably hand coding json files <laughs> for clients or, or you know implementing micro data or whatever um but certainly it's a a big sigh of relief for our team whenever a, a site is on WordPress because it makes us a lot easier to implement the things that we're recommending.
0: Yeah, it's it, if only WordPress uh, knew what it should market a bit better as well because that this is exactly what I've been telling people for a long time. Like, yeah, you even big publishers like the the amount of money you're going to spend to recreate what you would have gotten for free if you moved to WordPress is yeah. insane yeah absolutely yeah. so um you and you've come out of the e- e-commerce space is that with all these changes that and that are happening is that e-commerce space now really something that you think people should go into or not if they uh and they're not the affiliate part of it but just if you want to sell stuff online is that still worth it is it still worth to go online now
1: Oof, it's a
0: tough question
1: It's so difficult these days, you know, even if you are a big brand where that's your store, like that's your domain, that's your online store. If you sell on Amazon, why would the consumer buy from your store and not Amazon? Like, it's not to say you shouldn't have the store, but this is a conversation, you know, I still have e-commerce clients and it's like, how can we sell on Amazon, but also get people to buy on our site? I'm like "Mm, do you have same day shipping because they do and you guys don't um so should you start an e-commerce store from scratch i mean i don't know that it's going to be the big money making you know idea that people had several years ago and they're able to see the same results these days uh it's just really tricky with sites like like amazon and and etsy and, and ebay you know how do you compete and then whatever google's up to with its its product graph it's a lot of big players in this space that you're competing with.
0: Yeah, at the same time, and and this is me hope for hoping for Google to be a force for good for once, <laughs> uh, maybe that product graph could actually be like a sort of Amazon-like layer over a lot of small websites.
1: Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, they still have to buy it from somewhere, right? It's Google. This, I yeah. was just talking to Cindy Crumb about this last week. She has a lot of really amazing and interesting theories about what Google's up to here, but she calls it the presentation layer on Google, where you get the information that you need, and then of course you go have, you have to go to a site to actually buy it, which could be helpful for these e-commerce companies. But I think her theory was that you know this this might be something that Google ultimately charges for, like. The Merchant Center feed became free to everyone last year during COVID. And maybe that was just like kind of a PR thing to get more people using feeds and everything. But um, it was interesting to hear Cindy kind of speculate that this might become like a paid service for companies in the future.
0: It's, it's fine how you're just making the bridges for me to my next guest as well. It's, it's- <laughs> Is she
1: coming? She's the best. We were having this lunch and I'm like, we're the only people that would talk about this kind of stuff. <laughs> it's
0: like so uh, dirty. Well, no.
1: <laughs> That's true. There's a lot of people.
0: <laughs> there, there, there are more people that talk about this stuff. To be honest, I've, I've heard Cindy talk about this for quite a while. She was uh, certainly ahead of the curve on that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and, uh, yeah, it's it's great to see it now actually come into fruition. It, it is interesting. If you think about it, they made a whole big fuzz about making it free, mm-hmm. uh, which also sort of implies like we could charge for this again at yeah. some point.
1: Yeah. It felt yeah. like a big, I mean, there was a lot of stuff that Google did last year during COVID that was like, I actually have in one of my slides, I have like a benevolent Google during COVID. I think it was uh, John Mueller dressed as Santa Claus. <laughs> and then, uh, it's like, who knows if this stuff will stick around or if that was just kind of a nice thing they did during COVID.
0: Yeah. It, at the, it, it's funny. I, o- I always explain it to my colleagues when we talk about Google, like there's these, you can't treat it as one company. There's <laughs> just so many people within Google that want different things. Yeah. And uh, uh, there's a very large group of people within Google that really like the open web and wanted to thrive and, uh, and, and, and at the same time, there's also these other people that just keep sticking hats on everything.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's never it's not one. You're right. It's not one entity. And then of course we have personal relationships with some of them and they have the certain vision and that's kind of like maybe contrary to what's happening on other aspects of Google or other products from Google. And so it's you can't group it all into one.
0: No. No, it's funny. I I, I sit into meetings slightly too often where I have to introduce one Googler to the other. <laughs> uh <laughs> so it's, yeah it's, it's funny it, it it happens um is that a, 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 a to to focus on the industry a bit a, a, is the industry important to you the, these industry friends and, and these these types of chats is that where you get a lot of your information
1: yes i would say a very big yes I mean last week was our first in-person conference the the digital marketers organization conference in, in napa first in-person conference in a year and a half i guess uh, which yeah, was, I was
0: so jealous. Oh, so
1: nice. It was. I was just thinking today, like, it's so special to be able to just, like, having lunch with Cindy Crumb and talking about this stuff. Like, that's, it's such a, a, just a unique aspect of our job. Like, I talk to our paid search team a lot. They're obviously all friends with each other internally at the company, but they don't have a lot of friends outside of the company. And it's so different with SEO. It's like such this, this culture of, of collaboration and friendship and, people want to meet people and network and exchange ideas and that's one of the things I love most about it. Um, I was definitely going to conferences for many years before I started to like speak at them and it was just like going to a rock concert or something. (laughs) It's like this is so awesome. I'm having my mind blown. I'm learning so much. I can't wait to bring this home to my clients and so I love that. very passionate about it.
0: And did that change when you became a speaker?
1: It's been surreal. Like I, you know, at one point I don't even remember what happened, but I guess I pitched for a conference and I got accepted and I was like, wow, people want to hear what I have to say? That's crazy. Um, (laughs) little by little it became like, Wow, people really want to hear what I have to say. That's such a weird transition. And now, you know, having lunch with Cindy Crumb, like I was a twenty four year old kid watching her at MozCon, like wow maybe one day i'll meet her you know so it's it's been an interesting shift um and i do definitely try to encourage people just like don't be scared to share what you're learning and what you're seeing because this is this is open to anybody anybody that's doing cool stuff share it because nobody's necessarily better than anybody else we're all just working with the same set of tools and coming up with our own ideas so
0: yeah yeah it's absolutely true i it's, i've been in this industry well, slightly longer than you, but not that much I, I'm like 14 15 years now and it, it's yeah i can't wait to get back to in-person conferences to <laughs> and to hug my friends because it's been too long but it is yeah. uh yeah it is very welcoming in a way and and honestly when i saw those pictures from you uh, uh and others on facebook last week i was like hey all of my american friends are there why am i not there
1: <laughs> it wasn't <laughs> well,
0: everyone not- there was a
1: lot of comments i miss you guys it's sad because i was like i miss them too you know i hope people like i hope we can all be reunited in some form soon yeah, it's yeah, on the horizon
0: it's it's, it's looking good we're, we're all going in the right direction it, it looks like um so if if you could if i could put you on the spot and give one thing that people should do if let's say they have a personal website and they want want to improve their own EAT mm-hmm. is there one thing that you could give them that they can do like today or tomorrow that would help
1: I think it really just comes down to creating the content that demonstrates your actual expertise so you know not necessarily starting with the keyword that has the most search volume and trying to make sure all your h1s or h2s match that keyword. Like let's take a step back and think about why are you creating this website? What are your actual credentials? Are you putting content out there that's different or unique or shows your experience in a certain area? Um if you do those things, like I work with a instructor at a university here and I'm always telling him like put that stuff that you're doing, like put that on your website, you know. If you're doing those things, I think and you do that consistently over time, that'll pay off in in traffic and visibility and perceived authoritativeness by Google. So it's really just becoming laser focused on demonstrating actual um, specific expertise
0: as much as possible. Cool. Well, that's actually very actionable advice. So I like that. Um, <laughs> I want to thank you because this uh, it has been a very very good conversation. I think there's a lot of nuggets here for people to to dive in and well start acting on, um, and I hope you'll be back at some point later on uh, in in a year or so, and we can discuss all the next uh, updates that Google has done. That'd
1: be That's great. great. Maybe in person. Cool.
0: <laughs> that would be even better. I would love to welcome you here Enrichen, and we uh, can, and then I'll invite Jono to the table and then we... Oh, it we'll, sounds fun. Neither of us will get a word in, but... You
1: know. <laughs> <laughs> Have a heated debate.
0: <laughs> awesome. Okay. Well, thanks Thank for you. having me. That was it, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Yoast SEO podcast. If you're not subscribed, make sure to, to subscribe on your favorite channel. Thank you.